0: Well, we are really glad that you're all here. We're all kind of squishing in as much as we can over here um, so uh, that we can hear each other when they're sharing. I, I know the live streaming is on. I, the reason I know that it's on is because Nina just texted me and said, I see you and hear you. So everybody turn to the camera and say, hi, Nina. Those of you who prayed, those of you who prayed for Nina, know that she had uh, major surgery yesterday on her left foot. It was extensive, and it was a rough day yesterday. But she's much better today, and getting around on crutches. And um, she sends her love and regrets that she can't be with us tonight. But thank you for your prayers. We have a thank you to those doing child care downstairs, and we're grateful for them. Child care is a very important part of the ministry of our church. And so, uh, Scotty, we honor the people in child care so that at 8.45, there's a little clock there at 8.45. That's about as long as we think they can survive downstairs. So if you finish at 8.45, we'll sing one more song afterwards, and at 8.50 we'll be done. But that's probably the best way to honor those people who are serving us faithfully downstairs tonight. Okay. I am so pleased to introduce our guest for this weekend. When I called, I thought, I'm going to have to book this two or three years in advance because that's how far out this brother is booked. Uh, Scotty Smith was the founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has been a father to many, many church planters who are now across America He has been a pastor to people of very humble means, who love him, and to people of great influence, especially in the Nashville music scene. And so Scotty has that ability to minister to to the regular man in the street, as well as to those who are shaping the culture by the music that they compose and produce. He not only ministers to singers and composers but also to producers and it suddenly slipped out of my brain but who said who said if you could influence the government or choose the songs that the people sing who will have the greater influence I forget who said that but he said give me the songs every time who was it Confucius I don't think so Don but I could have sounded smart if I went with that Billy Joel, okay, right, okay, we don't know. But Scotty has been a pastor, and, he, and, and we give you full permission to share with us the names of people that we might know and we might have heard, uh, heard of who have really made a big difference in the music world, Christian men and women, who've willingly been discipled by Scotty. And Scotty has been, in one sense, uh, a father to me by his writings, by his example, by his kindness, by his, uh, just his very presence in my life, um, in certain missionary endeavors. I'm very, very grateful for your ministry in my life too, Scotty. We gave all our graduating seniors the Gospel Transformation Bible. And this is a Bible edited by some of America's top scholars who are firmly committed to seeing the gospel on every page of the Bible, Old Testament and New. And I didn't know this until just recently, but the notes for the gospel of John are written by Scotty Smith. And so I was so delighted when we'd asked him to speak out of the gospel of John. He has a running start on preparing for this together. So, brother, we welcome you. We are so honored to have you. Would you give him a New York welcome this evening? (laughs)
1: Thank you, John. I um, could go on and on about your pastor as well. John is a very dear friend, and we've been walking a lot of years together in a very unique community that we'll get to enjoy again next week down in Atlanta, Georgia, a gathering of friends, several pastors. And John, though he is the youngest in our group, he is our moderator. He is our worship leader. He is just, uh, uh, as you know, a a dear shepherd and a lover of Jesus and a lover of all kinds of people. And it's an honor to be here, first time ever, on Long Island. Maybe when I'm next asked the question, the most exotic place you've ever been, I'll say, (laughs) Oyster Bay, hands down. Actually, it's interesting that uh, John should mention the um, Gospel of John notes in that wonderful Bible. If you've seen that or read that my introduction I mentioned a place that a lot of you did that is my favorite place in the world, which is Switzerland. I've been there eight times, and I want to go back. And we'll make a connection with Switzerland tonight as we're pondering the theme that we will consider all weekend, the full extent of the love that Jesus has for us. It's, it's, it's a broad, far-reaching love that I assure you anticipates and presupposes a lot more that that happens just in John 13 where we'll begin tonight and a lot more that follows what's going to happen when Jesus goes from that upper room to the cross and back into heaven Uh, Switzerland in many ways for me is what I refer to as a first fruits of the life in the new heaven and new earth the life that we will enjoy forever and uh, I am so Thankful tonight to trust our God with you that all weekend long that we are, by God's grace, going to sample a little more of the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of Jesus, a love that surpasses knowledge. So here's what we're going to do tonight, and I love to honor childcare workers, so I will not go one nanosecond beyond 8:45. We will be there, and we'll just pick up tomorrow at our other times. But if you would go ahead and turn to John chapter 13, and if Jim, if you'd go ahead and put on the screen our narrative painting. There's a, a painting that I want to introduce you to tonight that was really born out of the very topic that we're going to be studying all weekend, the love that God has lavished on us in Jesus. I'll explain this four-panel painting to you that hangs this very night in the worship center of the church I was privileged to plant with friends in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, So before I even talk about this painting, however, I want to turn our attention to John chapter 13. And let me go ahead and let you know that uh, all of our times of sharing this weekend, it is not my goal or plan to do a full-bore exposition of the upper room discourse. Let me give you even what that language means. Upper room discourse is a part of John's gospel, John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. And it represents um, the, the last evening that Jesus has with his disciples just before he goes to the cross. That's why it's sometimes referred to as the last discourse of Jesus. It's a A very important conversation, and your pastor uh, nailed it when he said, we get to uh, eavesdrop on one of the most blessed and holy and joy-fueling visions that we could find anywhere in the history of the Word of God. Because Jesus knows that he is going to be on the cross very soon. He knows that not just Peter... But all the men that he is with will run from him. They will all scatter. They will all prove to be very much like we are, broken, meek, broken and uh, needy men and women in need of a great Savior, Jesus. And so in John chapter 13 through 17, we hear Jesus knowing where he came from, knowing where he is going, knowing who is in front of him, and knowing their witness well After that night, he underscores very important things. In some ways, we could refer to John 13 through 17 as as Jesus' kind of just his last statement, his last will and testament. You know, last words we speak uh, are summary words. If, If you know you're going away, Uh, You you distill the things that matter the most, and you want to burn these into the hearts of people that you care deeply about. That's really what we see in John 13 through 17. A brief overview would look something like this. In John chapter 13, as we'll see, Jesus uh, gives a veritable show and tell of what it means to be in relationship with him. Uh, He will demonstrate his incredible love for his people, for his son's not just in that room, but for us as well. And then he goes on to talk about several important things that he wants the disciples to know deeply in their heart that they would pass on to us. And uh, without a doubt, a chief theme is Jesus wants us to know how much he loves us. And he wants us to know that that, that love for us is going to involve the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in John 13 through 17, um, Jesus talks about what it means to know God as Father. And for some of us, when we first hear about God as Father, that's not necessarily a very exciting or inviting image. But Jesus teaches us that we really only begin to understand fatherhood by starting with God and working this way, not starting with our experience of Father and putting it up in, up in the sky the way uh, Sigmund Freud thought we were doing. No, Jesus shows us in John 13 through 17 that that God is a father that we always wanted. He also shows us that we need the Holy Spirit. There's a lot in John 13 through 17 about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, that it will be the Spirit's work that will really come and work in our hearts and show us more and more about the love of Jesus. Once again, i repeat what your pastor said. Um, The Holy Spirit leads us not just to understand the lyric of the gospel, good theology, but the Holy Spirit helps us also to understand the music of the gospel, deep, real experiential wonder and awe. Jesus prays that we might experience the very truth that he gives us. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are seen throughout the Upper Room Discourse, this magnificent triune God that loves us with the very same love that they have shared throughout all eternity. And then lastly in John 17, a text that we'll briefly consider Sunday morning in our service of worship, we get to hear Jesus pray. And uh, you know what? I find so much comfort in the prayers of Jesus because a lot of times my prayers are so weak. But I'm so thankful to know that Jesus is praying for us What we would pray for ourselves if we knew what Jesus knows. And Jesus' prayers will never go unanswered. Everything Jesus prays for, everything Jesus prays for will happen. He doesn't pray possibilities. He doesn't pray probabilities. He prays actualities. And in John 17, we will find the fullness of his joy being prayed for us. The fullness of the intimacy and the relationship of love that he and the Father and the Spirit share. So let's look at the text, John thirteen verse one, and then I'm going to begin to show you how expansive this theme of the love of Jesus is for us through this narrative painting. John chapter thirteen verse one. We read the word of God. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now, look at these words. I treasure this. And by the way, I'm reading from old NIV 84. That's my vintage translation. I love the ESV. I'm working on another ESV devotional Bible right now. But this is the Bible I got at Westminster Seminary when it first came out. So there's something about this one that's endeared to me. It's traveled with me around the world. And... For good reason. One, because I love the way this very verse is translated. Listen to this. I love this. John 13, second part of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I'm going to read that again before I go further. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Why do you suppose Peter was reluctant to have Jesus wash his feet? What do you think? Why, why was Peter resistant to Jesus washing his feet? What, what, what do you think about that? Any thoughts? Felt, felt so little in many ways. And, and, and the littleness, maybe a part of what Peter was feeling, was Lord, I, I am so little in what you're. Getting ready to do is the task of a common servant. How could you possibly wash someone's feet like mine? If anything, I should have already done that for you. I mean, there's just different ways of looking at this. I don't know that we can say everything that would be involved, but I think it's a beautiful picture to see how honest and open Peter is because we have a lot in common with Peter. Sometimes... Jesus wants to do things for us, and we think, no, not me. You, you, you couldn't do that for me, or I don't want you to do that for me. But you see, this is why what we've already read is so critical. Jesus is committed to show all of his disciples at every season in life how much he loves us. He's committed to show us the full extent of his love. T- tonight, we would say this. We'll say it every time we're together. Really... Dear friends in Oyster Bay, there is nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of the gospel. There's really in many ways nothing more than the love of God. There's just more of the love of God. It's it's why I've already referenced that prayer in Ephesians 3 when the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that God would grant us power together with all of the saints, all brothers and sisters in Jesus, that he, God would give us power to know the height, depth, width, and the breadth of the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. Paul even prays that God will give us the power of Jesus' resurrection to know something that cannot be known exhaustively. That's how critical this theme of the love of God is. There's nothing more compelling There's nothing more transforming. There's nothing more central to the whole of what this church exists for in Oyster Bay. And you see, that's a part of the vision I want us to see this weekend. The more we in this church come more fully alive to the only love that is better than life, the only love that is enough, the only love that will never let go of us. To that extent, will we really be Better neighbors for those around us. I'm just already so excited about this church. Your incredible building that you're stewarding like a great canvas to paint. To show the good, the true, and the beautiful to the city. But but the beauty of the people that are in front of me. I love the nations that are here. John, this is an incredible place. I may not go home. But... but is approaching us. So let me go on here. Back to the text. You will discover my redemptive ADD all weekend. I chase hopefully mostly redemptive rabbits because I love you, all right? But I'll stay on task. So Peter is resistant. Jesus wants to do something that a common servant would do. So Jesus disrobes himself after the evening meal. It's Passover. It's a celebration of of, of of Israel's story, of God acting in history to be the out of Egypt calling God, the great Exodus, the Passover Mill by which life is lost, that life, multiple lives would be preserved, the death of the of the Passover Lamb, and so the Mill has been shared and. Now, this incredible thing that Jesus is doing, that, that Jesus even says to Peter, you're not going to get this. He says to all the disciples, you're not going to fully understand this. Don't you love it that Jesus helps us know the gospels more than we can handle? It's like, you're not going to get the gospel. I'm going to show you the gospel. Later, you'll understand this. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And I love Jesus' response. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Let me pray that once more for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're here not just as a foot washer, but a heart washer. For as surely as you did the most profoundly counterintuitive thing in the universe as the one that created this world, sustains all things by the power of your word, for you to humble yourself and wash the feet of your betraying disciples. It was just an anticipation of your washing their hearts within hours as you hung upon the cross. And together we truly cry out, hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah, what a salvation. Jesus, thank you that for those of us that already know you, we've already been washed. But there's that ongoing renewal and refreshment. There's that going into deeper fellowship and communion with you. Thank you that that you have washed us. Thank you. That perhaps friends here tonight just beginning to explore this story, thank you that we can share with them as we learning for ourselves that you've done everything necessary to reconcile us to God. You have lived in our place. You have died in our place. And you love us. And you want us tonight. And you want us tomorrow and the next day. And after Oyster Bay weekend, next weekend. You, you want us to know even more of your love. You want us to, throughout eternity, to explore the unsearchable riches of grace that are freely ours because of your costly life, death, and resurrection for us. Be with us now, we pray, Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Show us more of your love. Show us the full extent of your love, we pray, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Now, let me tell you, this is, like I said, going to be a little bit different kind of an exposition, a a broader exposition of beginning to explore the multidimensional love that Jesus has for us. And that's why now I want you to consider the painting in front of you. Uh, If you've ever heard me speak before in some other setting, maybe you've seen this painting. If you've ever gone to my Facebook site, if you uh, have... uh, if you have uh, followed my prayer blog, you, you will know the rhythm I'm about to talk to you about a little bit. And, uh, and this painting, let me tell you how this came about. Uh, I had the privilege of planting this church in Franklin, Tennessee with a group of friends. Um, it's, a, it's a church story that I'm not here to talk much about other than to say I've seen what God can do when the gospel gets a hold of people like Peter, like me, very reluctant to let Jesus do everything Jesus is committed to do. Back in 1986, five couples got together in Franklin, Tennessee, and within seven to eight years, five couples became 4,000 people. Now, I don't want you to have any concern, either fear of the numbers or even being impressed with the numbers. We planted a church in Franklin, Tennessee, in a community of men and women that were starving to study the good news of the grace of God in Jesus. A lot of us had come from complete pagan backgrounds. We, had, we didn't know that anything worked to find any book in a Bible. A lot of us had come from very legalistic backgrounds. We are in the South, as you recognize my redneck accent. This comes from North Carolina. I say odd words. You say New York, I say New York. Uh, you do the wash, we do the wash. So uh, we'll get used to the dialect here. But in the South, where I live, you got a lot of people that were raised in the church but didn't really know Jesus. Uh, self-righteousness, unrighteousness, all kinds of issues. For God's own sovereign purposes, we planted this church With the exploration, here's the two things we did in our church family. We said, let's plan a church in which we would dare our hearts to believe that everything God wants to teach us about Jesus is true, and let's create a worship culture in which we can linger in that exploring of the Bible, believing that Jesus is the point and the main focus, and let's see what happens. Again, let me say that. We planted a church with a vision that would say, let's... Listen into what God is saying to us about His grace and love for us in Jesus and let's create a worship culture that will enable us to have informed minds and inflamed hearts and then engaged hands to serve our community. Those three go together in the love of God, always. Head, heart, and hands. Always learning to love God with everything we have in our learning to love one another as He loves us learning to be the best neighbors in our community, wanting so much for our churches wherever they exist, in Franklin, Tennessee, or in Oyster Bay, New York, to be the first fruits of the story that God is telling through Jesus. So as we were growing as a congregation, getting all these different backgrounds together, we realized that a lot of us had approached uh, the Bible, a lot of us had approached the study of the love of God. A lot of us had even approached the person of Jesus as though we were um, putting a DVD into our DVD player and, and hitting the scene select button. You, you, you know what I'm talking about there? You know, when you, if you ever put a DVD, you know, I grew up in the world of VHSs, so it took a while to kind of get used to DVDs. You put a DVD into your player and automatically you've got some choices, You've got a scene select button. You can start from scene one through three. You can jump all the way over into scene 17 through 20. Or you can go to the end of the movie. Well, a lot of us in my culture, myself included, we kind of, it was almost like we discovered in time. We came to the Bible jumping into the middle of the story, but not really understanding the beginning and not understanding the end. So as we were growing as a church and exploring this gospel and the love of God and the love that Jesus wants us to know more and more and more of, we began to see that really the Bible is one big unfolding story and that to know the love of God, it's important for us to see how it all fits together so we can see how Jesus even loved us before he died for us upon the cross. In fact, let me go ahead and, and for the sake of time to tell you about this painting. There's a, a, a wonderful artist in Nashville, Tennessee named David Arms, A-R-M-S. He is respected by um, Christians and non-Christians because he just does great art. And I think that's a wonderful thing when what we do is commendable, whatever our calling is in life. And David Arms was a member of our church. And as I was beginning to understand more about the full revelation of the love of God from Genesis through Revelation... I met with my friend in one of our local Starbucks restaurants, coffee shops. And I had a little, I had a little uh, napkin upon which I had drawn four trees, four stick trees. And I said, David, as a member of our church, here's what I want you to do. You know, David, that right now we, are, we feel like the Lord is just beginning to open the curtains on His love for us as a congregation. And we're discovering things we never saw before. I want you as an artist to create a gift that will help us every time we come together to worship the living God, that we will know the whole story of the love of God so that when we come to any part of the Bible or when we sing a chorus or a hymn we're aware of, oh my goodness, from beginning to end, consider how great God's love is for us as a creator, as a redeemer, as a restorer, as the one that is bringing his tear wiping hand into our lives right now and one day will wipe away every tear. So I just had these four little trees and uh, about six months later I walked into David's studio and saw what you see. Now this painting right now, the original, it's about seven feet wide and about three feet tall. And the four trees, I'm going to get up here just to kind of, uh, as though I had a laser pointer in my hand which I don't need. But I want to I introduce you to the enormity of the love that Jesus has for us that he meant for his disciples and he means for us these four trees the first tree and the last tree come to us in the Bible as the tree of life in fact this would be something interesting interesting for us to think about briefly in the Bible in our English Bible there are 66 books right If you took out your little handheld computer, your eye, something, and did the math, you would discover that there are 1,169 chapters in the whole Bible. 1,169 from Genesis to Revelation. Of those 1,169, only four of those chapters show us the way uh, life was designed by God to be. Only four out of 1,169 chapters show us this is what God always had in mind and in heart for His world. Those four chapters happen to be the first two chapters and the last two chapters in the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. And then between all of those chapters, between Genesis 1 and 2 leading up to Revelation 21 and 22, we've got this wonderful unfolding story of, of the world that got terribly broken, but a world that's been invaded by Jesus in such a fantastic way that I hope will richly encourage us. So here's here's what I want you to see. Outer two trees, the tree of life. The second tree, the tree on the second panel, is referred to as the tree of loss, L-O-S-S. The third tree is referred to, and you see a little white tag there, the tree of love. So you go tree of life, tree of loss, Tree of love, tree of life. Now, it, it's, it's the rhythm of the story that some of you would be familiar with if you've heard the Bible referred to in the unfolding fourfold plot line of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And you see, as we begin to read the Bible in this way, or any one part of the Bible, our joy, the joy that Jesus prays for us begins to get fueled the oneness with God that we hear Jesus talking about in John 13 through 17, it begins to make sense. Let me tell you what that looks like. In the first panel, what is something that we need to know even before we talk about Jesus dying for us upon the cross? Well, that first panel was the way artist David, the artist David Arms decided, here's, when I think about creation, when I read Genesis 1 and 2, here's some symbols and signs that I think about. The tree of life stood tall in the Garden of Eden. In fact, some of you would know this, but you realize that the way the Bible tells the story of creation, it is filled to overflowing with love and excitement and passion and adventure. Tree of life stood tall. In fact, the very, before God even said to his first son and daughter, Adam and Eve, don't eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know what God said before that? He said to his first son and daughter, you are free to eat from any tree but one tree. See, it makes a big difference when we realize the Bible's telling a story of God saying, I've created something for you richly to enjoy. Dear friends, you need to know when we read in John 13, 1 and 2, when Jesus says, having loved his own who were in the world, there's a lot of wonderful theology and truth Back to, backing that up. See, Jesus loved as a creator long before he loved as a redeemer. I love the way the Bible talks about the life for which you and I were made. There's a wonderful summary verse in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 that says this, and it's describing Adam and Eve and the life that God created for them and the life they enjoyed. The Bible says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, it took me a long time before I began to deeply appreciate what's going on there. What the Bible was saying is that when God created mankind, when he created us, he made us to live in a garden paradise and to be before his gaze with complete freedom. No reason to hide. No reason to pretend. We were, we were, we were made to be, to be shameless before the gaze of God. And you see, that really gets even to that picture of Peter being resistant to Jesus washing his feet. Uh, I bet a lot of you are like me in many ways. If, if, if we were really known well, themes like fear and shame and anxiety and brokenness, they just follow us through life. And you see, a lot of that is connected to the fact that we know we're made for something so much better than we've ever experienced before. Uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, God wants us to know, Jesus wants us to know that that even really a lot of the disappointments we know in life, it's not just that we're whiners, we're made for something so good. We're made to be so alive. We're, We're made for a rich intimacy with God and we're made to go into his world and to enjoy every single aspect of his creation. I'm so thankful John talked about some of your favorite places in the world. And I love looking around at some of your faces lighting up. You know what? A part of the reason why you love Rio de Janeiro or you love Yankee Stadium or you love the Swiss and the French Alps or you love Panama City, it's connected you to something so deep. You're made to be alive in a world where everything works, where the good, the true, and the beautiful are just fully enjoyed by you. See, we need to know that. That's, that's a part of what we mean by the love of God. And so tonight, as we begin this weekend, I, I want you to to know, as my friend friend, Jeremy Barrs, who teaches at um, Covenant Seminary, said, in every one of our hearts there are the echoes of Eden. There, there there's a longing for something that you know, you know, uh, you know. Our, a lot of our discontent and all this because we need to know God made us. Jesus made us for something, and 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 Jesus paid a supreme price for us so that we would come alive to the very fact that God loves us and uh, out of the abundance of his eternal joy. So um, in that first panel, David Arms chooses some symbols. In a lot of his paintings, he uses birds and fruit and butterflies. Let me explain quickly. David chose a chickadee to represent uh, creation. Why chickadee? Well, I'm not sure if it's true in Oyster Bay, but in our part of the south, the chickadee is one of the first birds of the spring that offers a clarion, beautiful call. And he chose one piece of fruit, not to say it was the apple that Adam and Eve ate at all. No, this isn't the apple computer symbol with a bite out of the apple. This is, this is to be held in contrast to what you see in the last panel with a garish overabundance with fruit. We'll come to that in a minute. But, but creation, when we think of creation, tree of life, we're made for life. Your longings, your passions, your delights, I want to validate them this weekend for you and for the people that live all around you in Oyster Bay. See, everybody in Oyster Bay has eternity in their hearts. No exceptions. Everybody you live with, everybody that drives by your church is an image bearer of God, and, and, and inside of them, there's a longing for life. They just don't know where the life comes from. But see, we want to be more certain about it for ourselves. Well, that second panel, let me be quickly here, because again, I've got about 15 more legal minutes. S- second panel is the tree of loss. And this is the way the artist David Arms said, so when I read the Bible, I realize that sin and death came into the world and tragically the paradise of Eden was broken And and I I love the fact that what he did in this uh, particular second panel, he shows us this is what sin and death does. Um, It permeates everything. and, And this is why we would say that because of sin and death, the way the Bible tells its story, nothing is the way it's meant to be. It's why we live with so much frustration. Nothing is the way it's meant to be. And it's also why, you know, what David did, do you see that that tree has gone lower on the horizon? Literally, it's a way of saying we've gone from the tree of life in the garden paradise to, you know, there's been a fall here, a shifting in the horizon. And those two birds, and this is so wonderful, this is where the gospel begins to emerge, dear, dear, dear friends, and helps us understand how much Jesus loves us and the supreme price he has paid for us and why we need him to evermore be washing over our hearts with fresh gospel sanity. There's two birds there, and those two birds are the raven. In the Old Testament, the raven shows up in two ways. A raven is a bird of judgment, which means this, that God takes sin very seriously. When God told his first son and daughter, you are free to do anything and everything to my glory. Here's the one point of prohibition, because they violated the one thing God said. The consequence was judgment. So there's one raven looking back over the landscape of judgment and, uh, and we see the tragic effect. But you see also in the Old Testament because God is such a God of extraordinary promises. The raven also shows up as a gospel bird. Remember when Elijah was fed in the wilderness? Elijah was one of the storytellers. We, 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 let's remember this for sure. Where, where's the first expression that we know that God is going to be an outrageously loving God of redemption? Happens there in Genesis 3 when God says that he is going to do something radically generous for the people that are made in his image the people that rebelled against him the the seed a baby a child is going to come through the family tree that eventually will be used to crush the head of evil and so elijah is one of the first prophets that begins to talk about that story and the whole stream of the prophets even in the full view of of what we know to be the fall now um go to the third panel here, and and this is where I really love to begin to talk about the love of Jesus for you and me. So the third panel, as we think about the unfolding of the story in the Bible, it's always anticipating the ultimate one that's going to bring about this incredible promise that God has made. What's the promise God has made? Do you remember? God even grabbed a man that was not seeking him at all named Abram, and he said, come outside and count the stars. Then he said, count the sand on the shoreline. Then he said, count the dust. Oh, Abram, I'm going to make of you a nation that eventually through you, as your statement says, I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing. Do you realize that Oyster Bay is living under the great promise of God? Here's something I want to say now in my last 10 legal minutes. A day is coming when the knowledge of God's glory is going to cover the whole of Long Island as the waters cover the sea. That's not if you get after your, you get your cookies together and really follow your pastor to get the job done. No, it's so good to know God has written a story for Long Island. And North Shore Community Church gets to participate in it as a character in that story and a carrier of that story. That's where that third panel comes in. What's the third panel all about? Well, uh, the, all of God's promises anticipate there is a Savior, there is a Redeemer. And it's not going to be Noah or Abraham or anybody else in the Old Testament because they all need grace just like I need grace, right? And so the third panel, let me tell you the images there. See the butterflies and see the egg. First of all, the cross on that tree, that cross is not a white cross painted on a nice tree that's now a little bit higher on the horizon. If you were to see the original painting, you would see that that's a see-through cross, meaning this, the sky and the clouds that you see in the sky of the third panel, uh, you would see them because what the artist is saying is really redemption is all about the person and the work of Jesus. It's something that God, here's how God fulfills the great promise to be a redeemer of a world that's so terribly broken. Here's how God remembers the world he has made for his image bearers to be alive and passionately engaged in his knowledge with joy and and significance and fulfillment and filling the whole earth with his glory here's the here's the here's the, uh, the, 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 uh, the the laughing God of passion and delight here's what he's going to do not only to reclaim what was lost but to show us he always had something far better in mind than we could imagine so the third panel has butterflies because in ancient art a butterfly is a symbol of life emerging out of death Some of you maybe have seen some some cocoons this fall. Cocoon isn't a very lovely thing because it requires the death of that that caterpillar that new life might emerge. Well, here's what we know the Bible says to us. Because Jesus lived and died in our place, his resurrection is our resurrection. So David began to put three butterflies saying, already if we're followers of Christ, here's a part of what it means to know how much we are loved by Jesus right now. Look at me as I say this. I'll say to you every single time we are together, if you're a Christian, all of your sins have already been forgiven, past, present, and future. Already you are robed in the righteousness of Jesus. Right now, God cannot love you more than he does in this very moment, and he will never love you less. Why? Because of that third panel, because Jesus has successfully fulfilled the law of God for you. God loves you right now, Christian, as much as he loves Jesus. And there's nothing you can do about it but enjoy it. Come alive to it. And that's why that that egg over the tree is another important symbol of what it means for us to be North Shore Community Church in the beginning and the near beginning of 2015. You know what the egg stands for in Scripture? Think of Romans 8. Romans 8 is the image of what? We're pregnant with glory which means what? You know, a fertilized egg has life inside of it, but it's not the full life that it's going to be, right? So right now, you know, a a part of what coming alive to the love of Jesus, coming alive to every good thing Jesus is praying for and And talking about John 13 through 17, it's going to be y'all become great lovers of one another, not as you are right now, but the emerging glory in every one of you. It is so awesome when a church begins to see one another not as irritants, but as image bearers of God. And we begin to see the good work of God beginning in congregation. And and you know, uh, it's like C.S. Lewis said, you've never met an ordinary person that uh, if we were to see anybody in this church right now the way they will be one day when Jesus finishes the work, we would be tempted to fall down and worship them because you'd be so beautiful. Do you understand this? Because of the love of Jesus, one day you will be as lovely as and as loving as Jesus. John Yenshko, one day you will be as loving as and as lovely as Jesus. I mean, what more could you want? Can you imagine to be that free? you see, that's what the love of Jesus is all about, the full extent of his love. So right now, that third panel, it wants to say to us, in light of the person, the work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, ascension, the gift of his spirit, we live in that third panel. It's the already and not yet. We groan inwardly. We wait eagerly for the completion of this great salvation. But it's a salvation that's already now legally ours. You are that love. You can see why the Bible says, God, by your Holy Spirit, we believe this. Please free us from our unbelief. Now, I know y'all get to day in and day out, week in and week out, be under some of the finest gospel preaching, not just in Long Island, but in the Northeast. And John, John, John eats, sleeps, drinks, sweats. He, 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 he burps this gospel. It comes out every orifice of his being. He loves Jesus so much. But you know what? As he does that with John, we need to say, Lord, make this so much more real to us. That takes me to my final thing I want to highlight. And we'll pick up on this tomorrow afternoon and Sunday morning etc. The fourth panel. Oh, how I love the fourth panel. By the way, first of all, as we look at the fourth panel, David Arms did this so profoundly. If you were to see the original, all four of these panels are sewn together with a scarlet thread. Who do you think that stands for? Jesus. From beginning to there 's a scarlet these aren 't four different chapters there 's one big story, and Jesus is the one. See Jesus is our creator before he 's our redeemer, but he 's also the one that 's you know committed to finish the story. Now the fourth panel, let me highlight this very quickly, and this is a great place to conclude. Fourth panel when I first saw it walked into david Arm 's studio, I thought, David, what happened you didn 't get all of the tree on the on the canvas, it you, you, looks like you've got, you know, maybe, I don't know, 20% of the tree off the canvas. He said, Scotty, are you kidding me? Do you think I can possibly contain our future on a panel? It's intentional to say that the Bible's telling a story where the Garden of Eden is just a preview of coming attractions. That the end of the story in the Bible is so much better than the beginning. Why? Because, now look at these three birds on the right. We don't just have three chickadees, we have three birds. And David says, Scotty, this represents the gathering of the nations, how Jesus' love is so great that one day men and women from every single race, tribe, tongue, and people group will come together, and they will be in full bloom because God will bring to completion the good work he began in us, but we'll live in perfect society. You know, can you imagine that your future guarantees this because of Jesus? Every single one of your relationships in the future is going to be a perfect relationship. You know, that's one of the main reasons the Bible says that we will not be married as husbands and wives in heaven. Because we will, we will, first of all, be fulfilled in our perfect relationship with Jesus. But we will live in a perfect society where you will know everybody and everyone will love you. You will be intrigued with everyone. Folks, we are made for the Garden of Eden on steroids. Now, all this big fruit, the Bible actually says... That the tree of life as it stands tall in the new heaven and new earth, there's a different fruit every month. Now, I don't know that there's a fruit of the month club in the new heaven and new earth. But I do know this, the end of God's story is so magnificent. The God who created us for a garden paradise of love and intimacy and no posing and pretending and thoroughly loving Him and serving Him and enjoying one another... That God has secured a future for us through the work of Jesus that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor thought even entered into the mind of man how magnificent it is. Dear ones, again, just look at even the way the projection of the trees are lined up. Tree of life stands wonderfully tall in the Garden of Eden. Tree of loss is further down showing us it really got broken tree of love we see movement because we should anticipate the kingdom breaking in in oyster bay because christians in north community north shore community church are loving jesus and loving each other and it's a it's the aroma of a of a new kingdom coming but it's tied to the fact that you're already citizens of the new heaven and new earth precious friends we're going to look more at this but one day the very world that we live in right now, is, it's not going to be destroyed and annihilated. Jesus said there are two things that define the whole of history. His commitment to redeem his bride from the nations and his commitment to make all things new. Precious, precious, precious friends, when Jesus got down on his knees and disrobed himself and was washing the feet of these men, these were toes he created to design as the Creator Lord. These were men that he knew would be weak and would fail him, and that's why he lived in their place and died in their place. And it's men that he knew one day through their own blood, they would bear witness to this story, this gospel, this glory. It's our story. It's our gospel. It's his love for us. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a salvation. Father, thank you for this night, for this beginning. I wish we had three more hours to drink good coffee together and to ponder these things. But, Lord, thank you you're building for eternity and not next week. I thank you that I haven't said anything tonight that this precious congregation hasn't heard through their pastor. I pray, Lord, the story would go deeper, that the love would overwhelm us. I pray, Jesus, that your love for us would ignite our heart for the life you created for us in Eden, but also the life you've secured for us in the new heaven and new earth. May your love free us to love our lives not unto death, but to be a congregation that gives and lives and loves generously for your work in Oyster Bay. Father, thank you that there there are... There are thousands of your sons and daughters yet to come to Jesus in this incredible island. Thank you one day uh, the new heaven and new earth will explode with wonder right here. We want to live as characters in that story and carriers of that story until Jesus today you come back to finish making all things new. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: And I um, just want to quickly, quickly let you know where we're going. So let's get these passed out. Um, tomorrow night, Scotty is going to continue. You see on the Saturday night, it says, revealing Jesus' love to each other, cultivating a culture of grace in our church. What all churches need is a gospel climate. But how do we get that? That's tomorrow night. Then Sunday morning, during the adult Sunday school time at 9:30 sharp, you see, Scotty's going to talk about abiding in Jesus' love, coming alive to the only love that is better than life. If your heart ever feels dead, your heart ever feel cold, coming alive, how do hearts come alive to this love? And then during the service, he's going to preach in the Sunday morning sermon revealing Jesus' love, extending that welcoming heart to the nations. So you'll want to be here tomorrow night. I promise you it's going to be a wonderful time. We're going to have dinner, what's commonly called a potluck dinner, tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Look what's in the refrigerator. If, it's, if you can, just bring it and share it. We'll have dinner together at 6, and then we'll, we'll go from... Um, 7 to 8.30, we'll finish that up, and then Sunday morning back here. We have a special treat tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow afternoon, we're going to have two seminars. Scotty mentioned his prayer ministry on Facebook. And I hope all of you who are on Facebook will like his prayer page. And he writes, just as Nancy told us on Sunday, he writes... Very helpful, grace-centered, life-giving prayers that can just bless you every day. And I urge you to do that. But we're going to talk about how do you pray when you're weak and how do you pray when you're strong? Sometimes you feel strong, which can be spiritually dangerous, but how do you pray when you're strong? We'll talk about that. How do you pray when you're weak? Um, That's going to be great. And then is our annual GabFest. When we ask you to come and just ask your hardest questions. Scotty, this is the day when the people of this church think they pay me way too much because of how much I say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then John Morkin gives us the answer. So that's good. Then I appreciate that. but So that's very helpful. But it's a time the elders and Scotty and I and Martin, we're just... Bring your hardest questions. You write them down, theological questions. Explain the Bible. What's a concubine? I don't know. You know that, bring your hard questions, okay? It's always a great, uh, great time together. All right, and then after church Sunday, we're going to go to Roosevelt Park for a picnic. You all are bringing chili and chips. I'm bringing a big tub of sour cream because Margarita's making her rice. And uh, rice and chili, and I think Steve Averman's cooking up hot dogs. It'll be a load of fun. Okay, covered a lot right there. Tomorrow, tomorrow.